I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align podcast. This can be seen also in the simple initiation ritual where a child has to give up his childhood and become an adult has to die, you might say, to its infantile personality and psyche and come back as a self-responsible adult. It's a fundamental experience that everyone has to undergo. We're in our childhood for at least 14 years, and then to get out of that posture of dependency, psychological dependency, into one of psychological self-responsibility requires a death and resurrection. And that is the basic motif of the hero journey, leaving one condition, finding the source of life to bring you forth in a uh, richer or more mature or other condition. Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's beautiful episode, I got to have Mr. Alex Hutchinson on the show. Uh, Alex is a former physicist, has turned science journalist. Um, super, super interesting fella. He's got uh, a couple books out, one of which is uh, Which Comes First, Cardio or Weights. Another is called Big Ideas, which is uh, all about modern inventions that have changed, changed our world. So he's got a really interesting intersection between science and physics and uh, actionable health procedures that we can get into. So in this conversation, we get into all sorts of really cool stuff. We get into uh, psychobiology, this relationship between our mind and our biology, our biology and our mind. Um, Is there any intersection there? Is it one unit? Uh, We tap into how to really hack our physiology through uh, perception, kind of an interesting, interesting topic. We get into breath capacity, we get into wacky things like the mammalian dive reflex and all sorts of little hacks that we can figure out to uh, to make our make our performance be a bit a bit more effective so a really fun conversation like Samuel Marcora's theory he calls this theory the psychobiological theory and it, it, that's it's to make the point that that what's happening in the brain psychology is not just in your head it's oh. it's integrally tied to biology your whole body is 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 working together in different ways and and to talk about one without understanding the other you just it just doesn't it makes no sense there there is no muscle without the brain thank you so much for tuning into the website aligntherapy.com that's a l i g n therapy.com on there you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement you will find the self-care kit and you'll find 10% off on uh, any Four Sigmatic product. Highly recommend checking out foursigmatic.com slash align to get 10% off anything uh, over there. And what Four Sigmatic does is they blend really, really excellent uh, sourced mushrooms with teas and coffee. So instead of just doing a boring old tea or boring old coffee, it's that not so boring tea or coffee along with things like lion's mane or cordyceps or shiitake or all the mushrooms that are relevant to make our bodies work better. So highly recommend checking those guys out. Um, I've been using them consistently for the last several months and I have nothing but absolutely fantastic things to say about them. Tim Ferriss has been getting down on the stuff. Sean Stevenson has been getting down on the stuff. Um, All sorts of good people 
people are appreciating the product and uh, couldn't recommend it more. So get yourself 10% off on them sweet, sweet mushroom blends at foursigmatic.com slash align. F-O-U-R sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. Um, I have a quote from uh, Mr. Watts, Alan Watts, one of my absolute, I think he, I'd say he's my favorite philosopher. I'm just going to say it. Uh, Zen does not confuse spirituality with thinking about God while one is peeling potatoes. Zen spirituality is just to peel the potatoes. I like that. Sometimes we get wrapped up in uh, thinking that we are something, which ends up kind of confusing the experience. I think that the people that end up really representing being spiritual or yoga masters or whatever it is, oftentimes they're just, uh, they're trying. And if you're trying, that's kind of an indication that you haven't really quite arrived at that point. The people that I find the most interesting are kind of the... Um, the ones a little less outspoken about how how strong they are, spiritual they are, great they are for whatever reason. Um, those are the people that I think have have a lot of value. Um, I think that might be that might be sufficient. Uh, thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. Highly, highly appreciated. That helps the algorithm gods uh, and spread the show. Thank you so much. One thing is, uh, por favor, if you use Amazon at all to purchase any wacky gizmos or nonsensical items, uh, por favor, utilize the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar on the blog and podcast page of aligntherapy.com. Do that for us, please, and thank you. Uh, we get about 7% of every purchase, and it is a really wonderful wonderful way to uh, kind of play Robin Hood and take some take some some scratchola from Amazon and pour it into the Align Podcast Foundation. It costs you absolutely nothing and helps support the show. So I think that might be good. I think we're good to go. Um, really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I listened back to this conversation and um, I think it's, it's rad. It's like one of my favorites actually I've listened to. So a lot of jewels in here. Hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Back to the show with Mr. Alex Hutchinson. Align Podcast. Yeah. I was looking into some of your work in relation to um, the role of uh, our brain in exercise and psychology and mindset and all that stuff. I had, you might, you might have seen, I, I had a Tim Noakes on, I don't know, several weeks ago and we, we got oh, into, like cool. the central governor theory and all that stuff. Do you have any kind of like, where are you at with all that stuff? Is it, is it the brain? Is it the body? I, I mean, I know it's both, but like, what's... Yeah, you know that's that's my big interest right now. I'm I'm actually I'm working on a book on that that very topic. And uh, you know the the truth is I I, I started out with the book with the hope that I could present a really simple, easily packaged message about overcoming the the body's limits using the brain. Yeah. And the more I got into it, the more I had to say, okay, you know what? It's really complicated. Sometimes it is the body. Sometimes it is the brain. Usually it's both. Yeah. Uh, how is the brain involved man it's it that also is really complicated and there's there's a bunch of competing theories and every time i speak to you know, a proponent of one of those theories i'm like yeah that's it that's perfect what you're saying is it has to be true <laughs> yeah. and so but there's about five different things that have to be true and they all hate each other so uh they don't think that they can all coexist but i i, I think in some way they can co coexist or in, in some way, we're eventually going to have an understanding that incorporates a lot of different ways that the brain influences our, our, our limits. Yeah. Dogmas right. feel so safe. You know, you get to have like, oh, I understand everything. This is perfect. You know, and then you like step outside of your box like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm lost again. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so nice to feel like you're on, you know, team central governor or team mm-hmm. uh, psychobiological theory or whatever. And you, you, you can try and understand the world through that one prism. Uh, and it, it, it feels good. But it, in the end, if you're trying to be intellectually honest, you're always going to find, or, you know, in, in, in a complicated topic, you're usually going to find places where, okay, maybe there, maybe this doesn't fit in with my worldview. And I have to have to think about a more complicated message. So it's bad. It's bad news for my, my hopes of writing a massive bestseller, because it's going to be hard for me to describe the message of the book in less than like 300 pages. Right. But, uh, but hopefully it's interesting. Hopefully I, I'm finding it interesting. And I hope I hope people readers will end up finding it interesting. Yeah, too. People tend to be drawn towards like, like cult leaders, you know, when, when you're when you're just really deeply passionate about this specific thing, whether it's right or wrong, people, you know, oftentimes like to attach to that. But if you're, if you're really honest, it's at the end of the day when you get the smartest people in the room and they're all at the bar and they're having drinks like anybody that you can really trust is going to tell you like i i i don't i don't i don't know what's going on i don't <laughs> you know yeah it, and it is it, you know as a journalist it's it's really interesting because the more i simplify a message the more i get get away from the complexity and the and the truth in some ways the more clicks the article gets you know like you you, you people want to hear we all we all want to hear simple messages that are easy to digest and that have actionable consequences. Oh, okay, if I do this trick or this exercise, then it's all going to make sense. Um, and so it's it's really hard to resist the lure of, okay, hell, I'm just going to simplify everything into this you know three step. Do this and you'll be you'll be rich and famous. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people do that, but but I think there's I think I do think I have faith in in the world. I know I. Uh, there are books or, or people who, who present a more complex message and who still uh, attract a big readership. So an, an example from my perspective, uh, I, I read The Sports Gene by David Epstein a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I read an advanced copy because I was reviewing it, and I thought, boy, he did a really good job. It's too bad this book is going to flop because it's complicated. It doesn't tell you whether it's genetics or environment, you know, nature or nurture. Um, but that book did really well, and, it, and that encouraged me. I said there's, there's people who, who – there, there are a lot of people who are interested in, in exploring how the world is rather than looking for just, you know, simple, simple sound bites. Yeah. David's also been on here as well. So you might get it. I, I saw that. Yeah. That. yeah. Um, so what's, what's been blowing your mind recently? I feel like there's, there's, you know, in, in digging into this stuff, there's always something that I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, is, is there anything recent that, that's kind of percolating you? Well, so because I'm writing this book, I'm, I'm, I'm digging into, uh, you know a lot of a lot of the history of this research going way back. So right now I'm working on a chapter about uh, altitude and oxygen, the role of oxygen, which we think of as as, as really important. So at uh, the first part of the chapter, I was looking into the physiology of free diving, free diving, and it's just incredible what these guys do. Like th- th- you know the world breath holding record without any sort of you know pre breathing oxygen, which is what David Blaine did, but just pure you know get under a pool and hold your breath it's like 11 minutes and 35 seconds yeah. and that's that there's no tricks there there's, that, you know this isn't like a 11 minutes you know i mean there's there's some techniques like lung packing that allows you to get a little more oxygen in your lungs but fundamentally it's just learning to ignore the desire to breathe and so when you hmm. talk about the limits of endurance and you think yeah you know i can hold my breath for a minute and a half and then it gets really hard and i bet if i really tried i could hold it for two minutes well there are people who they they just learn to ignore that and 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 and, and you under and, and getting back to the central governor that's where you understand that limits that feel physical because no no limit feels more physical than the lack of oxygen but actually yeah you you can just say 
you know what? I feel like I need to breathe, but that's just a trick of the brain. And I can ignore it for, you know, almost 11 minutes, almost 12 minutes, actually. I think it's 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Was that a depth or was that just in a pool? That was just in a, that was just in a pool. So the, the, you know, in terms of diving, a record that was set earlier this year was, uh, 102 meters, which I think is like 300, sorry, I speak metric, but that's 330 feet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the new record for totally unassisted free diving. So no, no fins, no, uh, you know, no pulling on a rope or anything, just a person diving into the water. 330 feet down grab a grab a a little tag that shows you made it to that depth and make it all the way back up to the surface and so that takes a little over four minutes and so four minutes is obviously isn't as impressive as 12 minutes in some ways but first of all you're doing exercise like you're swimming while you're down there and second of all you have to judge the margin of error so finely so like because you can't, if you misjudge by 5%, you're still going to be 50 feet under the water when you run out of oxygen. So that stuff, that stuff blew my mind. So I read a couple books on that and, and, and some papers, you know, some study and some studies about how the body reacts to that, you know. So when you, when you go under, when you just put your face in cool water, all these things happen like your heart rate drops. Yeah. And so you can, you can exercise underwater and your heart rate will be lower than it is at resting because you've got this diving reflex and then your spleen contracts. It squeezes because your your spleen is a reservoir of red blood cells, so it can dump in a bunch of extra red blood cells after you hold your breath. So the second time you try holding your breath, you'll hold it longer than the first time if you do it in a short period because you've got extra red blood cells in your body. Mm. And that and it turns out that happens during exercise too. If you exercise to exhaustion, at a certain point your your spleen just starts squeeze, squeezing out red blood cells to give you some more oxygen carrying carrying capacity. Wow, yeah, that's the the mammalian dive reflex is the fifty cent word for that, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that, that <laughs> it blows my mind. And so, and, and we share that with every every mammal. And so, you know, our seals in the in the Antarctic can can stay underwater for eighty minutes, and and so their their spleens. I can't remember what it is. They, their spleens hold like twenty liters of blood or something. It's ridiculous. It's basically a scuba tank in their in their abdomen. Yeah. And my understanding is, as as you go down to depth, I don't know anything about this, so please correct me. But as you go down to depth, your your body kind of starts to maybe downregulate would be the word, but like kind of like go into like hibernation. I know that's not the right word, but it uses a lot less energy. So I would think that if you were just dropped down to a deep level you would actually be able to hold your breath longer minus all the anxiety minus all the exercise minus all those other things is that right or is that is that crazy yeah there's a few things that go on like so the lowering of the heart rate is one thing and and you can get some of that just by dipping your face so the sensors seem to be around your nose somewhere you get you so you know you wake up in the morning splash cold water on your face that probably has some physiological effect. It tricks you into thinking you're diving because it lowers your heart rate and relaxes you. But then there's a bunch of other things that happen, and a very complex sequences of, of things. The biggest thing is uh, the blood vessels in your extremities, like your arms and legs, start to s- squeeze off and shut off, and all the blood, blood rushes to your core. So you're not wasting any energy uh, feeding oxygen to your muscles, and then also helps your your lungs and other parts of your core resist the pressure because as you go down deeper and deeper you're getting squeezed pressure is doubling every 10 meters so getting all the the fluids back fluids are incompressible so getting those back into your core helps you resist the the this the squeezing so um yeah there's there's a ton of interesting and and so it's interesting so if you're swimming your your arms and legs aren't getting much oxygen anymore so they're going anaerobic Hmm. but you're not feeling it because 
there's no blood circulation. So if, when they do these tests in mammals, in humans it's a little harder, but they find that lactate levels stay pretty low. Until they come back up to the surface, the blood vessels open up, and all of a sudden they get this burst of lactate as it all floods in from the muscles that have been operating anaerobically ever since they started, ever since partway through the dive. Yeah, and so it's it's the anxiety component that I think is really interesting. That seems like the the part that you're you're digging into. You know, it's like if we are able to kind of tap into that central governor, you know, and, and be able to to recognize like it's going to be okay. You know, I think that eliminate by eliminating that stress, all of a sudden our whole our physiology is able to to back up a little bit, and maybe you know we're able to go further. But it's actually doing that. You know, so if you're holding your breath, the thought of I'm going to pass out, I'm going to die, is like, how do we safely start to navigate that? Yeah, and you know, I, th- I think you can make a, a direct connection between those sorts of ideas and what happens if you're say racing, uh, yeah. and and the similar effects to. You know, the finish line in a dive is the surface. And if you misjudge the finish line, that's bad news. You know, you're 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 possibly gonna die, or at the very least you're gonna have an unpleasant experience. In in in, in racing it's different, but that that anticipation of the finish line is there's there's a very similar process where you're forcing your your brain is forcing you, at least as Tim Noakes would argue, to to keep a, a reserve of of energy. And so part of learning to be a great racer is convincing your brain it's going to be okay yeah. we're going to make it to the finish line unlock a little bit more of that juice for me so that i can i can go a little faster i don't and i'm not so worried if i collapse and so you know one other detail one sort of noxian detail on the mammalian diving reflex is that once you're used to diving it, it it gets triggered before you go in the water so if you put a heart rate monitor on a seal uh when they are about to jump in the water, their heart rate starts going down. And same thing happens with humans. If you if you tell them a few times, if you have them dive a few times, and then you tell them to dive, but then say, no, 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 stop, their heart rate has already dropped. And that tells you that the brain is anticipating that it's not just a physiological response to being in the water. It's your brain pre- preparing to protect itself. And and that's so it's, a, it's another indication that all these tasks that are all these calculations that are going on to get to get you to the finish line of a race or to get you back to the surface of of the water are are ultimately controlled up here and and that yeah that 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 doesn't mean and you know that the the caveat or the corollary is always that doesn't mean it's all in your head and you can just decide okay i'm going to be faster or i'm going to dive deeper uh it's and and i don't think anybody knows the answers to to how to reset your central governor if if that's what the, the we want to call it but but it, but 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 no but thinking about these things i think helps helps to encourage you to try and access some of that reserve and to to give you the confidence to do so you see that with with uh, in like the musculature of the body as well as far as um, with when we're trying to mobilize or stretch some tissue you know i was just talking with a guy called Todd Hargrove which just wrote a great book called guide yeah. to better movement and uh, he calls it the uh, overprotective mother, you know, and that's what it is. It's that you get to that point where it's like, you know, overhead range of motion, for example, shoulder flexion. You get to this point where it's like, I don't know. We, we're not there that often. It's a little dark, a little, a little cobwebby. I don't I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to stop you here at, you know, X amount of degrees where you really have another 20 degrees that you maybe could go. But it's it's slowly coaxing your body, convincing your body. You know, it's like taming a horse, like a wild horse. You slowly <laughs> pull it in. It starts to trust you, you know, but most of us. What about LSD? 
<laughs> what, what about psychedelics? Because that's something like insane. I just got back from San Francisco and there's a lot of people that are into like microdosing and all these a lot of really smart, progressive people that are doing this stuff, like serious people, you know, and, and that's one of the things that it's, it's, it's helping them kind of start to stretch their boundaries a little bit. You know, some of us, we're in this limiting belief system, you know, it's something that kind of help us. Co- I'm not saying LSD is the answer, but have you looked into any kind of any kind of like psychoactive substances in relation to that at all, or is that yet? To I, I, I ha- yeah, I, I haven't. Although there's there's certainly a lot of chatter these days about things like marijuana sure. and and particularly among ultra endurance athletes, where you know the longer the race gets, the more it's a battle of the mind rather than the muscle, muscles. And that doesn't mean obviously if you're running an ultra marathon, your muscles protest to you know too but but it seems to be a much greater battle and a much great you know for usain bolt running 100 meters part of his greatness is is obviously mental like he 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 is able to relax and get the most out of himself but that's that's a matter of of, you know a percent here and there you you know he it's not like you can run six seconds if you just get in the zone whereas in an ultra marathon it's like the mental component is like it's 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 going to change your finishing time by hours, or, and so um, certainly there's a lot of people who argue that they, who 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 would who would argue that marijuana it's it's, it's actually a bit of a double edged sword because marijuana is on the the restricted the international drug restricted list, and, and a lot of people say that's ridiculous. It's not performance enhancing, right. you know, it's, it's, it's recreational. But at the same time, you've got ultra runners who are saying. You know what? It's performance enhancing. I, I run on it because it, it really allows me to, you know, calm my anxiety and to to uh, uh, you know push myself without worrying or you know. For each person, I think it's a little bit different, but um, yeah. So I, I don't have any science on that, but I know it's certainly something people are exploring. I think the the argument of what's performance enhancing can get kind of silly to a certain degree because like. At a certain point, it's like, why don't we want a performance enhance? If it's like a natural substance that doesn't is is only shown to actually help our physiology, it's only show, it doesn't have any deleterious effects that we're that we're seeing. You know, it's it's an interesting question, I think, or debate. At what point are we performance enhancing bad, and what point are we performance enhancing totally fine? Yeah, you know, we could talk for two hours about this. This is a, this is a <laughs> it's a it's a tough question, and. Uh, for, for, one thing I would say is that this this hypothetical substance that only performance enhances good and has no negative effects, every, everything has effects depending on the dose, right? Like, so th- th- it's it's hard to isolate anything that's that's pure plain vanilla and and, and isn't going to have potential. You know, if you say, well, it's it's, and, and you often hear people argue that what we should do is just set safe thresholds. Say, yes, you can use steroids, but only up to this amount. Yes, you can use EPO, but only up to this amount. And and to me, that's a that's this crazy fiction where it's like right now people are breaking the rules when none is allowed. And so if you say some is allowed, the same people are going to say, okay, I'm going to use twice as much. Like it's a, it's a fantasy to think that people are only using it because they want to be a little bit faster than their own best. They want to be faster than everyone else. So if everyone else is allowed to use one unit, they're going to use two units. And if you say, okay, everyone can use two units, they're going to use four units. And, and, and soon you're going to get into that place where it's performance enhancing. Now, anyway, like the question of what should be banned and not is a really tough one. And, and I don't, I've argued in the past, my, my, my feeling is it is impossible to make a list of what's banned or to draw a red line between what's banned and what's not that doesn't have some contradictions and some ridiculous things. It's just impossible because you can't formulate a list. You, you know, you can't ban baking soda 
because baking soda you can't ban muffins like that's it's not going to happen <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same reason you can't ban coffee like 90 yeah. you know 90 percent of people or whatever drink coffee or tea so you can't ban coffee but it's it's a flat out effective performance enhancer so you've got all these ambiguities and at the end of the day my my take is let's just make some rules and you have to stick to the rules you know the role of the athlete is to just stick to the rules and i do think it's important to have rules because i know you know i competed at at the highest level that i could and did everything that i could to be as fast as i a faster runner as i could and i wouldn't have done that if if that didn't i would have been really demoralized if i thought that to compete at the best level that I could, I also had to, you know, take blood transfusions or or, or EPO or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and realistically, in endurance events, if if you want to compete at the top, and if everyone else is on EPO, you're going to have a, you know, this is the whole problem. This is what happened with cycling. It became the point where you really couldn't compete if you weren't taking drugs, and and that became a really sad thing. And and it would, you can say professionals make that choice, but it's always a a, a ladder down. You want and and you want the 16 year old who's getting into the sport and wants to know whether he or she is good enough. You, you don't want them to think, well, to find out, I'm going to have to start taking. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I don't mean to lecture you. But no, it's, no, it's, you're not. No, it's fine. It, it's a difficult topic. It'd be cool if there's like a steroid league and a non-steroid league. <laughs> you know, it's like there's one league. It's like you know what? It's your body. Like if you want to totally ruin your liver or kidneys, you know, which is like have at it. You want to, but the other league, it's like here we are i guess everyone would just watch the stereo steroid league is what would happen well that, that's the risk and the other thing you have to sort of wonder is how how, how close are we to that right now if, if you right. if you know you look at some of the professional sports out there and some of the most popular ones you know athletes are hurting themselves they're they're hurting themselves really badly and most of them not all but most of them go into that with the eyes open and most of them think hey if, if that's what's going to make me rich and famous i'm willing to take that trade-off but but it's it's certainly it has a little bit of the uh, sort of gladiator kind of vibe in in some cases yeah yeah exactly so you you mentioned coffee with that and so i think it's interesting coffee as a performance enhancer because again that kind of tags along with looking at our you know our uh, cognitive function our psyche and our perspective and you know our, our our mental energy has a direct correlation with our, our muscular energy, our ability to put out endurance and all that stuff. Is there, have you looked into that much? Is there kind of any kind of like, we think yeah, about I mean, for, for, for coffee. So everyone's known for a long time that coffee or more specifically caffeine, like caffeine works. Right. Coffee has a lot of different things in it. Yeah. Uh, athletes generally take caffeine pills just so they're, they're getting one specific thing in the same dose. And there have been all these different theories as to how caffeine works. And, and if you take a, a muscle fiber in a Petri dish and you give it caffeine, it will twitch more effectively. Like it has effects right on the muscle itself. It also has effects on whole body metabolism in terms of how much fat you're, you're burning versus carbohydrate. Uh, so it has, it has a, a lot of different effects that you could plausibly say, this must be why caffeine is so good. But what's most convincing to me is its effects on mental fatigue. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's a guy in in, uh, in England named Samuel Marcora who who argues that really the fundamental and he, he's a big sort of rival theorist to Noakes in in the sense that he offers an alternative view of the brain where he says there's no anticipation or protective mechanisms really just your what matters is how hard an effort feels effort is what matters the the harder you push the the, the more the, the perceived effort in your brain will be mm. and and when it gets too hard you'll stop. And what's that seems sort of obvious, but but there's actually some interesting implications. One of which is that 
if you can change the sense of effort, you can change your performance regardless of what's happening in your body. So you can say everything below the neck stays exactly the same. I don't change my muscles. But if I can change how I perceive the sense of effort, I'll be able to go farther or faster. One way of doing that, if you drink caffeine, it it has effects in your brain. It inhibits the buildup of adenosine, which is associated with mental fatigue. So, I mean, we all feel that, right? Like that's that's why probably the main reason people drink caffeine is not so they can you know, bench press more or, or run farther. It's so that they feel more alert. Yeah. And that alertness translates into a lower sense of effort. And that lower sense of effort for the same physical output means you don't really care how close your muscles are to absolute exhaustion. You care how hard it feels yeah. relative to how hard you're willing to push. And that's that's where coffee comes in. And that's where training your brain to resist mental fatigue, which is another idea that Marcora is, is interested in, uh, comes into play yeah it's interesting how we do how we reduce all these things down like descartes dualistic you know it's like okay it's the head down once you put coffee in your face it's just the brain it's like no <laughs> you, know, you can say the same thing with like with your physical posturing you know by standing in an upright position you know the hero whatever you know you end up increasing testosterone levels so they you know so that the, the studies say and cortisol levels decrease and it's like was that just your brain because it's changing all the way into the, the way that i'm i'm relating to my foot that affects my physiology you know it's 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 a it's funny how we how we kind of try to piece that apart to understand it do you do you witness that at all does that make sense yeah i mean that's 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 the classic uh sort of mind versus muscle and brain versus body and so like samuel marcora's theory he calls this theory the psychobiological theory and that's it's to make the point that that what's happening in the brain psychology is not just in your head it's no. it's intricately tied to biology your whole body is 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 working together in different ways and and to talk about one without understanding the other you just it just doesn't it makes no sense there there is no muscle without the brain yeah. unless it's in a petri dish and what you find is that muscles in petri dishes behave very differently i mean again working on this book i'm going back and reading all these studies from 100 years ago about the development of thinking about the limits of endurance and it started off in the early 1900s with all these studies with frog legs uh, basically in a petri dish or actually chains of frog legs hooked together in a circuit to an electric to electricity so then you use electricity to make the frog leg contract and they develop this understanding of what exhaustion is because you can make a frog leg contract until the lactic acid builds up and it, eventually it can't contract anymore yeah. and it took a while for people to register that that's not what happens in the human body because we we don't just keep going until the muscle can't contract at the moment you know if you watch someone who you know, a classic example Tim Noakes likes to use is you look at the finish of an Olympic marathon and, you know, one guy will sprint across the line and win and he's really happy. One guy will come through a couple seconds later in second place. Now, presumably the guy who just missed becoming an Olympic champion, he has pushed as hard as a human can push. He, You know, if he had gone a few seconds faster, he'd be the Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. So he's as tired as you can get. And he'll cross the line and he'll jog a lap around the stadium, wave his flag. His muscles still work. It's, he, he hasn't pushed to the point where his muscles can't work. Mm. Uh, and so it's it, we're, we're not the same as just a muscle in a petri dish. Exhaustion is something different. And you have to have both the body and the mind yeah. all incorporated into one thing. Yeah. And you're not really competing to – you're not really expressing like the highest version of yourself until you do – come into you know they call it like flow state or you know like i've heard like uh i think it was like a keto master guy talk about your body should be one muscle you know <laughs> when you can get to that point where you really are just one muscle 
fossil, you know, instead of 456 or whatever the heck it is, you know, it's like, no, it's just one interacting organism, right? That's when you're potent. You know, as long as you're in this reductionist perspective, you're just doing algorithms in your head and you're lost. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's tapping into that, that, okay, I'm just one fluid organism chugging up this hill. You know, but do you know what I'm saying? Do I sound crazy? Well, yeah, but, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> you, you do, but yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's, a, that's a special feeling and it's yeah. one that we all wish we could, uh, we could kind of, uh, uh, you know, bottle that transformation because i think it's even when you know what you're looking for it's pretty hard to get into that zone but it but it's uh that that's you know whether you call it flow or whatever it's a pretty yeah. special thing. what have you what have you found in your own in your own you know movement or career or studies or whatever to be like some some effective hacks or any of those words things that work you know yeah for me i i don't know that i've ever come across any particular shortcuts yeah. in the sense that uh, for me, consistency has been the key thing uh, of just getting out there as often, you know, every day if I can in some form, whether it's running or doing other activities. And, uh, you know, sometimes pushing it hard and sometimes going easy, but getting out there on a regular basis and, and just making sure to test my limits and, you know, making sure to, to uh, well, I, I, let me let me change tack and say, getting out there and 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 having the full focus of my attention be on how I'm feeling and what I'm doing. So I, yeah. I personally, I don't, I never, you know, and this is this is not a value judgment, but I, I don't run with headphones. Uh, I, I like to run. I mean, you know, I'm lucky enough that I get to run on a, a riverside trail rather than uh, you know in traffic because. I like to free my mind of all these distractions. And, you know, the reason I don't love run with headphones is not that I don't like music. It's because I do. And that if I run with headphones, my mind will be on the music and following music. Mm. And I want to just let my mind wander in a free state and be responsive to what's happening in my body. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm thinking, like, how does my left leg feel? How does my right foot feel? How does my elbow feel? Uh, it just means I'm 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 there to listen to the signals. My mind isn't distracted by anything else, and my mind can wander anywhere it wants to. And, you know, sometimes that means I get in a zone where my whole run, I'm just feeling the run. And maybe a little bit like what you said, maybe not quite as euphoric, but, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I'm feeling it. Other times it means that my mind is wandering somewhere completely different. Uh, and that's that's great too. That you know that that for my mental health, th th those runs are great. Where I'm just out for a run, and 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 I'm just skipping from thought to thought in a way that I'm not controlling at all. I'm not I'm not trying to do. I don't go. Out, sometimes sometimes I try. I go out there trying to think. Okay, I have a you know I have this. I'm on deadline. I'm trying to write something. It's not going well. I'm going to go for a run and I'll think about it. And for the first two minutes, I'll be thinking about the problem, and then I'll just I can't stay focused on it. I'll I'll just think about something else. Mm -hmm. But when I come back. I'm in a much better headspace, and I'm much more ready to to tackle whatever it is I need to. Do. So I don't know. That that's a bit of I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here, but no, it's but, okay. But, but for me, it's like letting myself be in that moment and not trying to be not trying to do too many things at once, or 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 be in too many places at once when I go to, to exercise. Yeah, this is bringing. Uh, there's a study. I, I I'm gonna probably mess it up because I read it like a year ago or something like that. But it was. Um, I might just have to delete this out of the podcast <laughs> if I look it up. I'm like, nope, that wasn't right. But have you ever heard of one where I think it was they were out for they were like learning a new skill or they were out for a run, one or the other, and they were wearing headphones, and it was 
that was like listening to music or listening to like, I think it was listening to music. And what they found was that when they were, as they were out doing the run or where it may be, learning some new skill, they found that when they had the distraction happening, they actually learned this new skill more effectively because they kind of got lost in it and they became kind of, as opposed to having that hyper vigilant focus, how do I do it? You kind of just, just kind of do it, man. You know, and then you're, you're, you actually create a little bit more spaciousness to learn the skill. Do you know what I'm talking Have you heard that before? I haven't heard that study, but it, it actually makes me think of a, I, I just finished an article that will be running in a, a week or two in, in a newspaper here on a study on motor learning. Um, it's, it's pretty cool actually. It's, that there's this paradigm where they, they put people on a split belt treadmill. So you've got a treadmill where each each foot can move at different speeds. And what happens is if you uh, – so you have, you're walking along on this treadmill, and then all of a sudden they, they adjust it so that one, one belt is going twice as fast as the other belt. Mm-hmm. And you, in response, you start walking with this awkward lopsided limp. And over the course of about 10 minutes, you gradually adapt and you get settled into the new world and you, you end up with a symmetric stride again. You're, you've adapted to walk with a symmetric stride, even though one belt is moving twice as fast. And they've done a, this is actually a, effective for rehabilitation for stroke patients because it takes um, it takes motor learning out of the conscious mind. It's just happening automatically. They're trying to do it. So the most recent study, what they did is they said, okay, we know it takes maybe 10 minutes to, to adapt this stride. What we're going to do is we're going to show the people a video of their legs or alternately, they did two versions. Uh, of, uh, we're going to show people feedback that says, here's what your two stride lengths are for your right leg and your left leg. And you'll see as they get closer and closer to symmetric. And when they did that, people learned the task instantly. They, they were able to get symmetric instantly. But then when they took away the video feedback, people immediately regressed to where they would have been if they hadn't had the video feedback in the first place. Mm. So the real-time feedback allowed them to instantly correct their errors but they couldn't learn that way. In order to learn, they had to go through the process um, of trial of trial and error, of letting their brain try, where should the foot be? Oh, that doesn't feel right. Where should the, nah, let's try again. Where should, that doesn't feel right. You had right. to feel what it's like to be wrong in order to, in, in order to converge on the right solution. And, and you can't necessarily short-circuit that. And, and so the, what I wrote is, is that this has implications for coaching. That if, you're, if, you're, if you're teaching a stroke patient to walk, to, to, to relearn to walk, or if you're you know, trying to learn a better running stride or a better tennis swing, having over, overbearing feedback, having someone always telling you, no, no, do it like this, like this, like this, like this, yeah. that may have short-term, it may seem like the person is getting it more quickly, but they're not actually learning. They're just being guided by your feedback instead of having them go through that that journey of discovery where their brain makes the connection between what it, what it's outputting and what the body is is, is doing. I think a lot of um, education facilities institutions end up missing this this extrinsic versus intrinsic education, you know. And so there's you know from like a coaching, it's like extrinsic cues or intrinsic cues. Intrinsic's like okay, do a bicep curl. I want you to focus on bicep brachialis and flexor digitorum, and you know. And what that ends up doing is it kind of like muffles the signal. People kind of get lost in in the muscle as opposed to saying just 
just like, all right, I want you to take that weight and just punch that sucker up to your shoulder. Just drive to the shoulder as hard as you can. And what they find is that the person that just drives the shoulder gets a lot more power out of it. And it takes a lot less concentration on the nervous system. It's more relaxed to do it. You know, but we can kind of overthink ourselves. And that's every time you look at a, at a textbook and you see these two-dimensional images of the body and such, you start to try and kind of like superimpose yourself into that. It's like, you're not that. You know, yeah. you know but it, I, I, we overthink things, I think, sometimes. If you can kind of let go, it opens up that your potential. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the brain... The brain is smarter than we think it is in terms of arriving at good solutions, and, and it's yeah. it's. As I was writing this article, it's tricky. Be, I, I was I was struggling with it because, it, at a certain point, if you just say just relax and 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 let nature come do what it wants to, I mean that that only takes you so far. If you want to have a great golf swing, you can't necessarily just sort of wander out and hack at the uh, hack at the ball and expect you're naturally going to converge on a good swing. So there is a role for for feedback, for for guidance, for teaching. But you have to find a balance between that and 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 self discovery and and like you said, uh, not focusing on the details of where your elbow is, but on on understanding the whole motion as a as a as a sort of holistic action. Yeah, yeah. You um, got into placebos in one of the articles. I was looking at your website, which is a really wonderful website, by the way. I would highly recommend people checking that out. And Runner's World is Runner's World. You? It sounds like it's like a is that a magazine? Is that is this just is it just a great URL? What is that? No. So Runner's World is is a big magazine. Okay. And I had fun. a I had a blog called Sweat Science yeah. for for several years, where I basically just a few times a week picked a new study on a topic that interested me and and said. And, and just wrote a sort of uh, exploration of the study. And in about 2012, Runner's World asked me to do the, do my blog on their site. So these days, the Sweat Science blog is on Runner's World, but it's just one part of Runner's World. So that's okay, where okay. I uh, yeah. uh, looks at there. Yeah, I was, I was like, how did he? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do not have a massive uh, IT yeah. department design. Yeah, here, so. it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the, the placebo effect, you know, and there was a there was a book I wrote it down. I'm actually it's on my. I was going to ask you about it. The placebo effect in health by Grant Thompson. Have you read that? Do you have any opinions on that? And and just thoughts in general about placebo. I guess it's kind of what we're talking about this whole time, actually. But yeah, so the placebo. So that that's a big and interesting topic. And what I've let me back up a little bit and, and say a lot of what I do on my blog is I write about studies that purport to offer you a way of getting faster, you know, drink tart cherry juice or do this, do that, and you, you'll get faster. And 99% of the time, my conclusion is this is doesn't really work or doesn't do anything. It's not it's worthwhile. Expensive. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a money maker, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not worthwhile. But what I gradually, I've sort of had a, a slight change of heart in the last couple of years talking to people who work with elite athletes. I, I, you know, I don't like peddling crap, but, but what they say is that the truth is that placebo effect is real. And yeah. so if, if you're dealing with an elite athlete and, and you can trick them into being 2% faster, then that's pretty good because 2% is, is a big deal to an elite athlete. So you don't want to trick the elite athlete, but you have to understand that given the, when they have something that they believe will help them, uh, that's a, a powerful thing and not something necessarily that you want to get rid of. So it's, it's, it's a tricky sort of ethical line for, for coaches and sports science, scientists. But I guess what I'm saying is uh, placebo effect has negative connotations a lot. It, you know, it, it sort of sounds like snake oil. But belief effect is this powerful thing that – 
that harnesses your your brain's power to produce the effects you want in your body and so you know and so sometimes it comes in the form of a pill but sometimes it comes in the form of having a coach who you believe in who who and who believes in you and who convinces you that yes you can do this you can you and and when you believe when you have this relationship with a coach that can spur you to greater heights in a, in a very real and measurable way through the belief effect or what might be called the placebo effect. Now, yeah. you asked about this book, uh, The Placebo Effect in Health. Yeah. That's a book I read, I think it was about 11 years ago, um, when I was working as a newspaper reporter and I was planning to write uh, a big review or a feature on it and I ended up leaving the newspaper before I ever wrote about it. But it's stuck in my mind ever since because the argument in that book, it's by a, uh, a doctor who worked in clinical trial design for, for many years. He was a consultant for clinical trials, so he had to think a lot about the placebo effect. And what he came to, his main argument was that the biggest placebo effect you can get is the doctor-patient relationship itself. Yeah. And and that, and that actually, I just wrote about a study recently, this might be the, the one you, you, you saw, where they, they hired actors to portray the doctors in a study. It was for pain gel. You know, it was a pain test. Dip your hand in an ice bucket and you uh, and then you get this this cream that's supposed to reduce the pain, and they hired an actor to either be a really uh, um, kind of a dick, clinical, yeah, <laughs> that's a, a, a stereotypical Western doctor. And I say that yeah. my wife's a doctor, so right. it's like you know the the you know not making eye contact, not having physical contact, being brusque, not not using names, all that kind of thing, and just giving the plain cream and say try it. Versus someone who, who and the description in the study is really quite hilarious. You know, they're talking, they're having this guy enact the rituals that are common in like shaman, shamanistic uh, rituals. Okay. So a lot of like, you know, laying on of hands and and eye contact and saying, you know, not just here's a, here's the gel, put it on. It's like from ju- judging from your performance, I think this particular gel is the one that's going to help you. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, as expected, the the personal interaction. Uh, produced a greater placebo effect. The effect wasn't like enormous. I'm, I don't want to overstate that it's like it miraculously cured everything, but it, but it's a reminder that to me to me that's analogous. The coach athlete relationship is one thing, and the the healthcare provider uh, patient relationship. It's like it it's it's not trickery to care about the patient and to make sure the care, patient knows you care about the patient because. That's going to help them just having this positive relationship, and, and there are definitely lots of good doctors who who understand that and try and put it into practice. But that's what this book back in 2005 was uh, by 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 a guy named Grant Thompson. It's, yeah. it's actually worth a look. It, it presents the evidence for this, and it's just a, a, a really uh, uh, I think it's a point that's neglected in in in, in whether it's sports or medicine or, or you know allied. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing that people, doctors especially, don't necessarily realize, or just anyone in general, is that, that empathy is a muscle. You know, and it's like not literally a muscle, but it's that that practice is something that you by by utilizing that in a momentary basis, you get better at it. You know, and there's sometimes if you're always just one personality type, you know, and you just that's just who you are all the time with every single person, you're probably not gonna do so well in this world. You know, but having that the ability to kind of undulate with with different personalities and like maybe this person wants to be seen. Maybe they really want a lot of contact and they really want a lot of attention. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe another person's like, 
they don't want a lot of contact. Maybe they, you know, maybe you know, eye contact might make them uncomfortable. It's like being able to dance, do that dance with people. That's like, that's medicine, you know. And we don't we don't give it any credit. I think. And it's interesting you say that because so the study I was talking about. So they had the actor, and he had very specific scripts, being the the very standoffish. Uh, Western doctor or the effusive, you know, interpersonal doctor. That's 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 step one. I think what you said is is step two. It's okay. Don't just follow the script. It's understand that maybe yeah. some people actually will do better with the the very reserved and standoffish doctor. But it's it's responding to what they're needing and and not just being an output source, but being an input source and yeah. understanding. So there's a big gaping. I'm just realizing now a big gaping flaw in that study that you're pointing out is the study. Depending, you said they like it was the placebo did better, but it wasn't like a lot better. Maybe the actor was kind of not that empathetic, you know. Just because you're acting doesn't mean that you're really connecting with a human being, you know. And that's something that I wonder. I just wonder, you know. Yeah, I mean, but by definition, he was in order to make the study well controlled. He was following a script both times, right. so yeah. he, he wasn't responding at all to what people do. So he was partway there, and yeah. and that, you know that, that's a, that's important to, to try and control. You know, is it the the touch? Is it the the using of the name? Which which factors can we control? But the next step is is actually, and you know, it's obviously much harder to study, but it's it seems logical to think that having someone who is good at listening in and of itself, it has therapeutic benefit. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, I want to talk about, which is kind of a little bit of a, a 180 of things, but, um, you talked about the, the foot core in one of the articles that I found interesting, you know, and I, I think that's another, another topic where it's like, we look at our feet and feet, you know, for me coming from my background is like a, doing manual therapy and training and stuff like that. Feet are perplexing, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, that was always kind of a place where I was like, whoa, the foot, you know, it's like, there's a hundred odd muscles in there and 33 joints. It's just like, it's like, it's complex looking thing. And then you get into the intrinsic muscles and the extra, it's just like, can we kind of talk a little bit about your experience with engaging your feet as a runner or as a, you know, or just any of that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a, it's, it's a, uh, a, a controversial topic in running, which is, I mean, it, it ties into some big debates about, you know, barefoot running and minimal, minimalism and modern running shoes, whether they're helpful or harmful. And in most of these debates, I'm, 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 uh, I'm kind of a centrist. I think there's a role for a lot of different kinds of shoes and a lot of different ways of running. Yeah. But one, one, one thing that one idea that I do find compelling is, uh, if your foot never does any work, then it's not going to be strong and versatile. And so the, 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 this paper you're mentioning, it's, it's basically what they were arguing is that we, whatever, a decade or two decades ago, we can, we, we got this idea of core strengthening and realizing, cause you know, it's, we're all familiar with biceps and, you know, triceps and quadriceps, but the, the muscles of the core, if 20 years ago, no one was really talking about, you know, or if, if you're talking about the core, you were doing a bunch of sit-ups or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no one was talking, was thinking about all the very subtle ways that there's all these undersung and uh, muscles that are holding your spinal spinal cord up yeah. and, and keeping you stable when you're taking a step, when you get off balance. There's all these muscles that no one ever goes to the gym and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm working on this. Now, that's, that's changed. You know, in the last 20 years, there's been a, a big recognition of core stability and the importance of all these muscles that aren't big beach muscles. And so 
I think it was last year is when this paper came out, some physical therapists argued that there's a similar thing going on with the foot that, you know, everyone knows about the calf and, and, you know, the Achilles tendon and stuff like that. But there's this, a ton of muscles that no one even knows that I'd never heard of. Like I've been writing about running for a decade. I've never heard of most of these muscles <laughs> deep, deep inside the foot. And they play very important roles in with every step you take, keeping you stable, keeping, making sure that, Forces are transmitted up through the rest of the legs and the rest of the body in a, in a you know in a way that's not going to do damage or, or put you off alignment, and that these muscles are kind of left uh, they they kind of atrophy if 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 they're if they don't have a chance to move and be strengthened and so I think that's a good argument for you know I certainly when I, I wear pretty standard running shoes when I run but I, when I'm inside I wear. Uh, you know, slippers that allow my feet to, to, to move and that force me to, to, uh, you know, engage in different ways. I'm, I'm doing this interview. I'm standing up for this interview. Not, I, you know, I sit down sometimes, but I have a, a variable desk. I like to stand up as much as I can stand on one foot, move around. And there's, and these physical therapists, they also presented some, some specific exercises that like foot doming, uh, that, that engage, the intrinsic muscles of the foot, these ones that are in modern society that are kind of neglected. Now, yeah. you know, right right now this is an idea. So no one's proven that paying attention to your foot core is going to change your world. But but uh, it, it seems like a compelling idea to me. Yeah, I'm thinking about my abductor digiti minimi right now, totally dropping into it. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> My favorite muscle. I love that one. It's the best one. Um, well, so so with that, I think it's a similar concept where it's like by becoming too consumed. I'm standing on a foam roller, so I'm falling down right now. <laughs> by becoming too consumed by those intrinsics. Uh, I think you can become lost as well. You know, people do that with transverse abs a lot. You know, we're like, come on, folks on the t- on the TVA. You know, get in there. And it's like. Dude, you're missing it. You know, like by by doing a more compound movement, like say a deadlift or a squat, and really nailing all those extrinsic cues, right? Creating that torque in the hip, externally rotating the knees. Imagine you're screwing your feet in the ground. That inherently lifts that dome of the foot, and all of those arches come into organization. You don't need to think abductor minimi, you know, whatever, in order to be able to drop it, in order to organize it. You know, and I think oftentimes we can look at, at complex articles like that and think, man, I got to get, I got to get smarter. It's like, maybe not, maybe you're too smart. <laughs> you know, that's why. Yeah. You know, I think that's, a, that's a good point. And like, we could look at every part of the body and discover that, oh yeah, there's some important muscles here too. So we need to have <laughs> one, one exercise for, for every muscle that has ever been identified. And, and that's, that's not sustainable. And, you know, I've, so like I said, I found the foot dome co- doming concept interesting. I've never done a or the foot core concept. I've never done a foot doming exercise. Like these aren't things that I want to incorporate. But it, but being aware of it makes you think of like, like you said, how how it's how it may be happening in other contexts, or that hopefully in doing what you're doing, like you you know if you're standing on a foam roller or whatever, mm-hmm. you're you're get you're getting these opportunities to 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 work whether it's the foot core or the the core core or whatever without having to invent a new exercise to to do it although then you you know maybe in clinical cases maybe when someone some someone already has something wrong then it's useful to have specific exercise that target a specific weakness yeah but yeah i i like the the language of calling the core it's not core is not a place like we think of it it's like it must be like rectus abdominis transverse ab multifidus right that's the core it's like you know i think of core as more of an event 
right? So core is this electrical stimulus through your whole entire body. When Mike Tyson throws a punch and you see him just crushing whatever he's hitting, it's coming from his foot, then extrinsic, intrinsics, all the way out into his fist. That's core. Core just happened. You know, but it, again, we reduce it down and we, we actually, we, we miss a lot of these components. But if we can get the whole entire system aligned, you know, engaged, pardon the usage of aligned, you know, then, then core is happening. But I think as long as we're trying to isolate core, we're just going to be, you know, wandering around the woods with a blindfold on, like trying to find home. It's not going to happen. You know, that was a silly analogy. I don't know why, <laughs> but, but it's a lot harder, you know, yeah. so, so anywho, um, is there anything else? We're running out of time here. Is there anything that's like else you'd love to love to mention, or where do people find you? All those, all those kind of end of the end of the conversation kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably the simplest place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Sweat Science, and there's links from there to, to various other places. Um, uh, I'm, my website's alexhutchinson.net. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter's. Whenever I write something that's interesting, I put it up on Twitter, and I'm and I like and I respond to you know if people have questions and stuff like that. And I've, I've I'm it's it's one of those odd things. I'm a, I'm a pretty big social media skeptic uh, in the terms of what it does to where how I spend my time and and, yeah. and so on. But I can't deny that Twitter has been fantastic in terms of connecting with people, uh, you know, both people who maybe have questions for me, but also the people that I have questions for and and get it and get engaged with that. So sweat science is, uh, um, I, d- despite my best efforts to uh, minimize my social media time, I, I do end up on Twitter quite a bit. And uh, there was a thing that I wanted to ask you about was uh, ice baths versus heat or ice baths and heat. You got any opinion on on hot, cold, all those controversies? Yeah, we might have to schedule another, uh, yeah. another session. Um, yeah, ice bath, they, they make people feel good. And so really, as you're saying about the problem of overthinking things, at a certain point, maybe you start, if it makes people feel better the next day, then we shouldn't worry too much about what's going on. That said, I think I, I, my, my personal feeling is kind of a minimal effective dose kind of thing. You, you use things like ice baths when you need them. If, if, if you have... If, if you have a hard workout and then the next day you're not going to be able to achieve your training goals or your competition goals, then use something like an ice bath. Yeah. Um, otherwise, but, but, but don't be dependent on it where it's such a thing like you have to do it every day after every workout because there, are, there is some evidence that it may hinder adaptation. That, that in the same way that it's speeding up recovery, it's taking away the signal that, it, to, that tells your body to adapt and get stronger. So you're, you're trading short-term recovery for lo- at the loss of long-term adaptation. What do you so think about I think, Wim, Wim Hof and his whole, his whole pilgrimage? Yeah, you know, I, I, well, I, so I, I only know very superficially about, uh, about what he does. I, you know, I think generalizing his experiences is problematic. And, and it, this is true of, of elite performers in all sorts of domains. When someone you know, reaches that, that, the high point of the pyramid, they look back at w- what they've done in their life and conclude that that's what it takes to get to that point. And it's very hard to separate the things they did that helped them get there and the things they did that were totally extraneous yeah. to, to get there. So you know, he's got things like breathing exercises and progressive exposure to cold. Cold has real physiological effects, uh, you know, not just post-exercise, but also in terms of, you know, uh, ramping up your uh, transition to brown fat, for instance. It's hard to know how significant these are in a real world. And so uh, I'm kind of skeptical of 
things like this until the, until they're demonstrated in wider populations. So I, I, I'm I'm naturally skeptical of of gurus, even though I know some of them are right. So so I don't have anything personal against Wim Hof, but but I, I I'm I, 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 I yeah I'm, I'm skeptical of of uh, sort of. Uh, as I said right at the beginning of the podcast, of, of shortcuts and, and ways that promise to get you somewhere quicker than, than just uh, doing it the, the hard way. My last question, because we have 60 seconds left. Uh, beet juice, increasing brown adipose tissue, good stuff like that. Recommend beet juice for, for people? Uh, not because of the brown adipose tissue, although I did think that was interesting. Yeah. Beet juice, and not because of the endurance performance enhancing effects, even though that's also interesting. Uh Really interesting evidence about beet juice and overall health, cardiovascular health, blood pressure. I don't drink beet juice. I, I'm not a big fan of juices overall, but I eat a lot more beets than I did before this research started to, to come out in the last five years. I think beets and also leafy greens, things yeah. that have a lot of nitrate in them. There's intriguing evidence that they're a lot more healthy than people maybe initially thought. Right. Thank you so much, man. That was really fun. I really appreciate um, your time and conversation. Thanks for accepting my ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for, for taking uh, taking the conversation in some interesting directions. It's, uh, it's this is I I do a lot of interviews that that cover the same you know six questions and and this was definitely interesting to cover cool. some different areas. I listen to a lot of interviews and I hear the same questions over and over again and I cringe. I'm like, yeah. So I'd I'd rather I think create something that's either original or just don't don't. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair my enough. All right, cool, man. Thanks so much. Um, I will let you know when I release this guy. And um, yeah, if you ever make out the Northwest or any of that stuff, uh, be happy to show you cool stuff. Lots of eagles and you know lakes wow. and rivers and all that stuff. So anyway, sounds beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank and, you, brother. Uh, yeah. Cool. Bye. See you, man. Bye. Align Podcast. Thank you once again for uh, for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast and for bringing such a radical product to the world. Uh, I utilize the cordyceps and lion's mane before any workout movement session that I do. Uh, chaga mushrooms every morning as I'm traveling. I always bring along some type of mushroom bl- blend for immune support and just overall vitality. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tim Ferriss has been loving that. Sean Stevenson, I believe, from the Model Health Show as well has been getting down on those um, so they are spreading like wildfire and I highly recommend you checking them out um, jump on to foursigmatic.com slash align for 10% off of your purchase I can't re- recommend it more uh, foursigmatic.com slash align f-o-u-r S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash align and you will get 10% off of any purchase from Four Sigmatic. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website aligntherapy.com A-L-I-G-N therapy.com and then from there, a uh, couple things you can do. One of which, you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand side bar bar of the blog and podcast page Uh, you can utilize the amazon affiliate link Uh, anytime you or anybody you know buy some crap on amazon please and thank you bookmark that link every time you do it we get something like seven percent of your purchase and it helps support this show it is awesome so great as well something you could do that is ultra helpful if you or anybody that you knows um, has ears and likes books uh, tell them to check out the audio 
audibletrial.com slash align. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash align. And then from there, that is, uh, you get a free audio book from Audible. They have something like, I don't know, a bajillion different titles to choose from. Uh, one that I would recommend that I got from them was Shantaram. I, it's a huge book and, uh, again, all free, no matter what size the book you get. And that got me through, I listened to that as I was traveling through Morocco and, uh, just really, really amazing website, uh, amazing service. Couldn't recommend it more. And, uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing. Costs you absolutely nothing and you get a free audiobook and you support the show. Boom. Um, Thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. That's greatly appreciated. And thanks just in general for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for for spreading the word. All right. I can't express enough how much I appreciate all that. If you guys ever have any questions or comments, you feel free to email me directly at Aaron at aligntherapy.com. And I would love to talk. All right. See you guys. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.